Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Every new year, there's pressure to work out. And it stops people from even starting. But starting is what matters most. So Peloton's made starting easy with up to $600 off Peloton bike purchases and two months free membership. Start moving with the Peloton bike, bike plus, tread, row, or guide, and thousands of classes with instructors ready to support you from day one. Shop Peloton's new year offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. All access membership separate terms apply. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. So we're back for another episode of the Secret Library Podcast. Today, my guest is Colette Lafia, who is a San Francisco-based author. She's written two books, The Comfort and Joy, Simple Ways to Care for Ourselves and Others, which was named one of the best spiritual books of 2008 by Spirituality and Practice. And she also wrote Seeking Surrender, How My Friendship with a Trappist Monk Taught Me to Trust and Embrace Life, which came out in spring 2015. She is also a spiritual director, workshop, and a retreat facilitator and blogger. She's adjunct staff at Mercy Center Burlingame and a part-time children's librarian in a San Francisco public school. She studied creative writing from the San Francisco State University, where she got her BA, and she worked in the renowned Poetry Center. She started a small magazine called If Poetry while there, and it was a time of of innovation and discovery where she met poets from around the world and connected with her love and passion for the written word. She got her master's degree from San Jose State, and then she became a school librarian and worked part-time in a public school where she gets to share her love of books. So thank you so much for being with us, Colette. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you. So there are so many things we could talk about, obviously, given your background. But one of the things I really wanted to talk about, um, I think pretty much everybody we've had on the show so far, uh, with the exception of one person who teaches writing from personal experience, has written fiction. So Mm -hmm. I really wanted to dive into both writing from personal experience, writing about your own life, writing about experiences that have happened to you, as well as writing about spirituality, which are two topics I think you've really embraced and and have a lot of wealth of knowledge about. Mm -hmm. Yes, that sounds great. 
So how, um, I guess, how did your books begin? Where, where did they, I know one of them came from a friendship, but I'm curious how you got the ideas to write your books from the beginning. I think for myself, uh, first, let me say that I studied poetry at um, San Francisco State. So my first um, kind of attempt at writing was poetry. Then I delved into trying to write children's books, picture books. And then the nonfiction books sort of evolved organically. So I would say I actually really, these books, and I this does not sound superficial, I hope, these books really just came to me. These books wanted to be written through me. It wasn't like I really set out to write nonfiction or I never really saw myself as a spiritual writer. It just sort of evolved on my path as a writer. That's amazing. So... So do you find that poetry, your your history in poetry stays with you? Because I think poetry and the poets I know and that I've talked to, it's it's all about a love of language and the use of language. And do you find that that has helped you as you've written your other books? Definitely. I think actually it's foundational for a writer because it really tunes you into just the quality of language and it really tunes you into kind of connecting an inner sense of what you want to say with language and using the senses. So all good things Um, and trying to help you not to overwrite, which is a habit that you can get into with nonfiction. Yeah, I think it's a habit anyone can get into. Um, So I'm curious about your amazing relationship with this Trappist monk that evolved into a book. And one of the things I'm seeing these days, which I do not feel at all coming from your book, but it seems like there's almost this writing a book proposal, like it's a movie deal thing going on in nonfiction that I'm seeing. Like, I'm going to do this project for the next year, and then I'm going to write a book about it, and people get a book deal. And a lot of them I've enjoyed, but yours feels much more like, I think the friendship came first, and then the book. Am I right? Definitely. I I actually never intended to write a book about this. What had happened is I met this Trappist monk. Um, My husband and I went to the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky, which is actually, you know, in the world of monasteries and monks, it's famous because Thomas Merton, who Uh is a well-known kind of spiritual thinker of our times, uh, that was his home base. And so many people go to the monastery to kind of... um, pay homage to him, to maybe go see his hermitage, which is still there. Um, So my husband and I went there during a very, very low period of our lives. Um, We were facing many difficult things, infertility, his business was collapsing, my sister had just died of cancer. So actually I was in a very dark place. And so we, a friend was from Kentucky and she said, go, go to this monastery. My husband and I, I don't know what Uh, drove us but we're just like okay and my husband's Jewish and this is a Catholic monastery but so we just took off went and we walked in there and there's just you know there was so many graces there and I ended up meeting brother Renee the very first morning I was at the monastery and so he and I just connected and then when I came home I started writing him letters and so our this book is really shaped um shaped and formed from um, five years of letter writing between us about my journey of surrendering and finding peace in the way my real life was unfolding. 
Then afterwards, I wanted to write about surrender. I was really called to it. It was very difficult. I didn't really want to write it. I kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? I'd write, you know, I'd call out to the spirits, you know, but it's like, yes, you must write this. So then I, I wrote to Brother Rene and I asked him if I could integrate our letters. And he gave me blessing on that. And so that this book was then I tried to sell it. <laughs> and both my books were written first. And I do think that gives a certain a certain organic, um, authentic kind of urgency to writing the book rather than just the deal first. Um, I know it can go either way and it's all good. I don't really have a prescription, but this is just the way my path has gone. So when you say, I love the thought that the books really wanted to be written through you and that there was urgency, like, what did that look like? How did that feel? Were they keeping you up at night? Like, I'd love to know what that feels like. You know, the thought kept brewing and brewing and brewing. And when and I would go down to write it and it would surprise me what I was saying or or I I discovered what I wanted to say through actually writing it. So it'd be like, oh, I'd write something. Oh, and it would just surprise me and it would continue to surprise me. And I really knew felt like I knew nothing about these subjects, actually. <laughs> but they you know, but I discovered it through the writing of it. And that was part of what um, was an impetus for me, was a desire for me that I was I was discovering something I actually really needed. Like what is what is surrender? And I would I would reflect on it, live it, and then write it. So it just really became integral to my life, um, which which is for me a very enjoyable way to write a book. I mean, it's it's not a very um efficient way because it takes you a long time. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like how, what was the timeline of this process between meeting brother Renee and then the book coming out and, and how did that play out? Yeah. Well, while I um, first met him, I was finishing up comfort and joy. And again, that was a book I never, first of all, I never saw myself as a nonfiction writer. So I just started writing about comfort and discovering comfort. But what I did notice, because I had a background in fiction and in poetry, that my nonfiction writing sort of had like a storytelling quality to it, which many people respond to when they read it because of that. It's um, not that nonfiction is dry, but mine tends to be somewhat more poetic. And so I was writing that. And then um, I was writing finishing comfort and joy. And then I was just dialoguing with brother Renee. So from the time I really met him and the book got published, it was at least over 10 years. Um, um, to, yeah, until, yeah, about 10 years. So it's, you know, it was a long committed process that, that really taught me a lot. So how was it, you know, I've, I've talked to several people where there's a long period of time between when they start writing and when the book comes out. And I'm wondering, it's almost like that becomes something that is your own. You're spending all this time with this project on your own. And how is it to put it out in the world and to suddenly have other people interacting with that project that's been just yours and, and Brothers Renee's as well in many ways for all that time? It's an extremely vulnerable moment. Um, especially a book like this in which I was talking about very personal, somewhat difficult things because the book ended up going into also my experience of 
journeying with my father through the last years of his life up into his death. So the book actually even has a scene in which I am actually at the deathbed of my father. So it was, um, you know, on one hand, it was sort of like, wow, it was like, this is a real chapter of my life, like almost a 10 year period, like it felt like a chapter of my life. And it was actually a way of surrendering that chapter, helping me to move on. But it, it's also been very, very vulnerable. I mean, you know, we look at issues like infertility or insomnia, things that people are wanting to hide. They want to keep in the drawer. You, you don't want to be one of those people because, hey, that doesn't look successful. But what I have found is the, the people that my book is touching, um, it's so healing for them. It's so healing for these things to be spoken about and shared and encouraged and comforted um, that as, as, as the time has gone on, I've just seen it as a beautiful way of being in the human experience with other people through having written this. It's not making me famous. It's not making me successful. And I'm kind of dealing with all of that as a writer. Like, what does this really mean for me as a writer? What... Um, you know, when you don't write the bestseller, quote unquote, um, where do you kind of go with yourself and your own commitment to the writing path? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because yeah. I think it's hard to define what success is for a book because mm -hmm. it sounds like if people are responding really well and they're touched by the topic, that's a kind of success. But then as a writer, you have to say, well, you know, I'd like to eat too and I want to you know, I want this to be sustained and this is 10 years of my life. So, so how do you define success around writing or is that something you're still figuring out? Yeah, that is really a deep discernment for me. I'll be honest because my book didn't have the numbers, whatever that means. It had a, it had a healthy number, you know, for this type of a book and the publisher that published it, but it, it wasn't like big enough even, you know? So what does that mean for me? You know, what is driving me to write at this point? Um, and I think the same thing that always drove me to write since I was little, younger, like I just love doing it. I love discovering myself through it. I love connecting to the world through doing it. And so sometimes it's almost good not to have the big hits because what's really sustaining you? You can have a hit today and nothing tomorrow. It has to be an interior desire to kind of want to communicate. I mean, ultimately writing is a form of communicating. It's a form of sharing with others. And so for me to keep, especially that I ended up writing personal uh, nonfiction spirituality books, they sort of have a different type of tone than other types of books. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have several questions. Okay, I'll start with the first how did you deal with, because you talked about the incredible vulnerability of putting it out there. And I think the vulnerability is in many ways more intense for memoir or writing from personal experience or nonfiction, because you can't fall back on the, well, that was just part of the story. Like, you know, novelists or, or fiction writers can, it's a story about what really happened. So how did you deal with kind of the boundaries of what you were going to share and what you weren't going to share since you did go into so many vulnerable topics? You know, that was, um, first of all, I respected my own privacy, you know, and I respected my husband's privacy. He's in the book and I respected the people I wrote about 
their own privacy. So it's not as though everything was in the book. I Even the letters, I did edit them with his permission, meaning I didn't write every single thing that was in, in every letter. So I, I was, you know, it's a fine line between respecting the privacy of the people, the real people you're writing with, and staying true to what makes um, a full expression of what you're trying to talk about. And so I was constantly balancing that, even in the writing and then in the speaking of it. So I think that was part of it. Um, I wasn't interested in confessional writing. That's a, that's a certain kind of writing, but this, what I was doing, what I, I don't feel like I'm doing confessional writing because even though I'm sharing my own experience, I'm sharing spiritual principles that come through my own experience and ultimately, I want my books to not just be about me. I want my books to awaken people and help them to come closer to their deepest self through my own vulnerable sharing. And also, you know, I really believe in vulnerability. I mean, I know many people are into it with, you know, Brenny Brown and her book, The Power of Vulnerability, things like that. And I, I do think it's a wonderful principle to share vulnerability and intimacy, but not in a confessional me, me, me way. So I'm interested in my books being books that people can enter into my own experience only to find themselves reflected in there. How did you create that balance? Because to me, I think that's, I, I would say that would be my goal in writing from personal experience also. But it is I guess maybe it's not something you can always achieve in the first draft, but I want like, how was your process of getting to that point over the course of writing over 10 years for this book or for any, for your previous book? I, I think just going back at it, going back at it, you know, working with some wonderful, um, I had a wonderful writing coach too, that really helped to pull me out. My husband was a great editor. He's also a writer. So I'm really grateful for that. He kept looking at it and, you know, I would really ask myself, you know, is this too much of me? Is this too much of me? Is it getting in the way? And then I would just pull it back and then bring in something else. And that was the great thing about having Brother Renee's letters, because it wasn't all about me. It was like him and his voice. And then when I started writing about my father, he became a character in the book and then my husband, and then my mother. So it was great that other experience started coming in, other people and what they were going through. And so I let the book, I really asked myself, let the book become more than just about me. And I started to become much more conscious about that, you know, probably as, the, as you know, the second or third draft. I mean, after a while, it's like, oh, you write it, and you rewrite it, and you rewrite it. Okay, I can't rewrite this anymore. I'm sure every writer goes through that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So how many drafts did it end up being? Do you do you have a final count? I, I've read so many. And, <laughs> you know, the introduction was my hardest part, not the vignette. So my book is sort of designed in where there's an introduction where I kind of give a sort of a, a sharing of what my idea of surrender is. And then I tell my personal story with how I met Brother Renee. And then I go into like 40 vignettes which are just kind of moments of surrendering and then showing how do you experience surrender in everyday life through actual narratives of experiences. And so those kind of flowed. It was just the introduction. 
And that's what I always find ironic is like when you write a book proposal, they want you to have the introduction first and they're judging it on the introduction, which is so backwards if you ask me, because in some ways that's almost something you realize after you've written all the book. Um, so that's kind of a crazy, crazy thing. So um, I'd say the introduction, I don't know, 20, 30. I mean, it just feels like it was endless to get that introduction right. But fortunately, it, I, I, I think I hit a good balance. I totally agree because you see these things about writing book proposals, particularly for nonfiction, because you, you don't write a book proposal for a novel. You just give them a novel. But but just this, write the introduction, then if you sample chapters. And I'm like, if you've only written sample chapters, how do you know... I guess they just have to know that it it may change. If you haven't written the whole book, right? then the intro may change as you write right. the whole thing. They have to be open to that, right? Yeah, they do. They do. I'm sure they do. So how did you find the publisher for the book? Well, my first and second book were by different publishers because they're somewhat different because this last book was considered more of a spirituality book. Um, um, and again... This was just a moment of grace. I was at a retreat and I was um, I was on a retreat with James Finley, um, who's also an author from this publishing house. And I knew that he knew Brother Rene because he was a monk at one point in his history. He's no longer, obviously. And we were walking down the hallway together on a break from the retreat. And I just turned to him and I said, did you know Brother Rene? And he said, and his blue eyes lit up and he said, yes, he was a very kind monk. And I said, well, I knew him and I've written this book about our friendship. Would you be interested to write me an endorsement? And he goes, call me and we'll talk about it. And so then I called him. It took a few months and he said, send me something that you have. And then we talked again and he goes, I'd like to... I'd like to send it to my editor at the publishing house. This publishing house had already rejected me two, three times. And I said, well, I've already been rejected by them. I don't, I don't really think it's worth it. He goes, just send it to me. So then he called the publisher and then he sent it to them. And then that's how it happened. So I think it, it was just kind of a real moment when you meet the right person I think it's a moment when um, the book is right for that house um, because I since wrote a book proposal recently for the house again, the editor was leaving and they didn't take my book proposal. So um, I think it's like a lot of things have to line up at a moment and that's where it takes incredible faith for a writer faith in the process and when your book is actually going to emerge into the world, when's the right time, who are the right people for it. It's, it's takes so much faith. I have a friend, she always calls it the writing faith. And I think that's from everything from the idea all the way to publishing is to it's living a journey of faith as a writer that your writing will get reached by the in the right way to the right, you know, that pride kind of journey. And it's hard to hold on sometimes. I, I really, really know. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think the other thing about that story is that, you know, just because somebody says no once doesn't mean they're going to say no forever. Yes. And I think that that actually has been um, 
commented on by many editors at conferences over time now. We might say no to your book this year because somehow the people who are on that, it's so subjective. It's unbelievable. It's the people who are on the editor editorial board, just like how my most recent book proposal didn't get accepted by them. It's the people that are on the editorial board at that time, in that moment, looking at what their lists are going to be for, let's say, the next couple years. And somehow whatever you're writing about doesn't connect with them. And it could be another day and it could be another, you know, so it, it, you, you can stay and, and, and pursue, if you know, an editor at a certain house, just stay in touch with them, um, reconnect with them. If you rewrite your book, you know, you send it to them again. I mean, so it can be a slow process of unfolding with a certain house. So I don't think there's any real rules to how it all works. You go to these conferences and all this and they tell you and they map it out and you're writing down feverishly in your notebook how to do it. One, two, three, four, five. And then, but there's also a whole nother thing going on to have faith in. Yeah, absolutely. I I just, yeah, I hear these stories and the more I hear about getting accepted in terms of getting into a publishing house or getting your book published by someone, the more it sounds to me like the college application process. Yes. And that you don't know what they're looking for. I was, I, we had Natasha Dion on the show recently who wrote Grace, uh, which is a book about slavery. It's a novel. And she said that a lot of places said no because they already had Homecoming, which recently came out in the calendar. And they were like, we can't have two books about similar topics at the same time, which to me is crazy. But because um, there are certain topics, they never say no to having too many of them. But it's just like they plan out. It's almost like a movie calendar or you know, the perfect freshman class or whatever of their institution. And you don't know if it, it's so easy to go into it and say, oh, my book wasn't good enough or they didn't like it versus, oh, they already had somebody with the same book. It's entirely possible. That, that's very, very hard because it hits you at a really vulnerable place. I mean, it hits, it's just, it's just a vulnerable experience. You know, you write something, you love it you want to believe in yourself and then you put it out there and it gets rejected or it gets, it doesn't get accepted or it gets whatever happens to it. And, you know, that's why I think going back to just why are you writing and what for and what's really driving you and what are your deepest hopes? And, you know, nowadays people really can self publish. I know that. And sometimes even, you know, sometimes I, I haven't had that yet, but sometimes I, I really think about that, you know, that that's an empowering, that's an empowering, um, decision. I, I, and, um, I know more and more, I remember going to a conference, you know, with the Amazon publishers or something, you know, like, and, and a lot of people are, are, um, feeling great about that path and really embracing that path and enjoying that path. Um, I don't know how I really feel about it for myself at this moment, yet I do think it's a wonderful thing that's available to, to writers now. Yeah, I think there is something amazing. We've had people on who've been published by presses as well as self-published, oh. but there is something amazing about being able to say, okay, I want to go with the press, 
or I want to do it myself or, you know, knowing in the back of your mind, even if you're going with a press that like, if I really want this book out there for people to get to, I, I have that choice that's available yeah. to me. Yeah. And I think that, I think, so that's why I think it sh needs to always come back to like the urgency of what you're writing about. You know, do you have faith in what you're writing about? Do you believe in what you're writing about? Um, does it matter to you to write about this? Because you're the one that has to spend all the hours alone, you know, you know, finding your way through the material and relating to the material. And, you, you know, it takes you have to really believe and, and be passionate. I mean, to go the distance because it's 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 a marathon um, to write a book. It, and I'm sure mo uh, every writer will say that. Yeah, absolutely. So mm -hmm. how what is your process like? I'm curious about you know, you, you're working on another book now. It sounds like you've written two others. Like, what is your day-to-day -day writing process like? Because I know you you work, you do other things. So how do you fit it all in? Well, that <laughs> that's really hard because that's the other thing you re that you face as a nonfiction writer, which I think, I don't know how it is for a fiction writer, but a nonfiction writer has to have a whole platform that goes with your writing. And that involves speaking and teaching and blogging and guest blogging and like a whole, a whole way of spreading what you're teaching. So it's not as though you can just devote yourself to your writing. And also I am a teacher, a spiritual teacher and a spiritual director. And as I said, I'm also a part-time school librarian. So I would say I try to just do one thing at a time that's in front of me. But the way that I notice when I, that I write well is when I let the fever take over. Like I just let my, let myself just, just, I do. I, and that's when the writing's the best. When, I mean, I do believe you have to sit there and you have to write, but to let it just like it take, take, take over, let it take you, let it let like, what do you want to say? Like become curious and, and then just write, write with that. So for me, that's my process is, is I, I, um, I kind of just, I do a lot of free writing. That's a great process for me. And I, I kind of pan for gold. So I'll do a lot of free writing and then I'll, I'll start taking the few things that sort of feel interesting or unique. And then I'll pull those and then I'll write with those again. And then I have had a wonderful writing coach that, always encourages, especially with nonfiction, to bring in the storytelling quality. So I'm always conscious of, of that too. So again, you know, write some, add to it, write some, add to it. Then I do some reading that, and then I'll notice when I'm writing about a concept, things will start appearing. And, you know, like ideas, like, wow, I'll read something and I'll, oh, that connects. And then I'll hear somebody say something, oh, that connects, or I'll have an experience of it, that connects. So all of a sudden, you know, things start connecting because I'm, I, it's almost like I become awake to the idea uh, about it. But I, truthfully, I've been in a bit of a low space right now with my writing since my book proposal did get, didn't get accepted. My spirits have gone down and that's my own personal growth edge as a writer um, is is reconnecting. Like I said, with, it's great for me to talk with you today because it makes me realize it's so important 
for writers, for us to talk out loud and to reconnect to our faith in what we're writing about and to, um, you know, interact and get remotivated when we get when we get a rejection, because that's that hits hard. That hits in a core place. Oh, absolutely. It's you know, it's you're putting yourself out there and saying, do you know, do you want this? And to have somebody say no is is rough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really, really is. So then you have to come back home to yourself and say, you know, do I believe in what I'm writing? Do I do I believe it's valuable? And also, as you were saying before, knowing that we have that choice, we could always self-publish if it doesn't get um, picked up in another way. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's always a way to get it to people. And I think that's, you know, that's a relatively recent it's very recent development and it's even more recent that people are seeing that as a legitimate choice because they're seeing, you know, people reach a lot of, a lot of readers with those options. Right. Not just like a rejected choice. Well, I didn't have any other choices, so I've been rejected. So I'll just go this way. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a conscious choice. It's really important to look at what are you writing and especially in nonfiction, what are you writing about? But again, you, you never know. You just never, you just got to write what's real to you. Just, you know, don't write it because you think it's good or you think it's popular or you think somebody, just write it because, you know, because the thing about writing, and I'm sure you know, because I heard you love to read, is you can always hear a voice instantly in writing. And that's in nonfiction too. And whenever there's an authentic voice, that carries any writing. And I know that because I read, hundreds of children's books to kids all year long. And you could see right away from the first page when there's that voice, it's engaging. How do you, how do you feel that spending all that time with, as a children's librarian, does that influence your writing as well? Because you're spending so much time with books that are in many ways so different from what you're writing yourself. Uh, and I, I think that's a real blessing because, you know, nowadays children, you know, so many great children's books. And um, one thing I love about children's books is like they're very descriptive. They tend to be short. So it's a real reminder of not overwriting. They tend to be engaging. They're fun. And I think just I love being around just, you know, the pictures and the words. So in some ways, I actually think it's better not to be around other, you know, like lots and lots of nonfiction because this kind of it doesn't influence me. This keeps it kind of fresh and immediate. You know, the kids' books are usually really, really immediate. And so many of them are about staying true to yourself. And so many of them are about like a character kind of overcoming, uh, you know, her limitations or believing in herself or overcoming her obstacles, which I think are really things that I write about, you know, having personal faith um, in yourself and, um believing in yourself and being your true self. So many kids books are like, you know, about against all odds, you know, most of these books, it's like the kids are orphans and they've just had a terrible trend. They have to overcome these big obstacles. And in the end, you know, they find something in themselves. That's, that's great that they can believe in. It's, I love the whole arc of a lot of kids books. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, you know, Gretchen Rubin, the writer who writes The Happiness Project, she's written yeah. nonfiction, but she talks about how much she loves 
children's books. And she actually started a book club where they read children's books. And she tends to go back and reread children's books as like one of her great things that she loves to do, which I wonder, you know, in some ways I think about the ones that I love, like Anne of Green Gables and all those kinds of books, like again, an orphan who doesn't know what's going on and ends up in a good situation, but just how much, you know, as an adult, you never really get out of feeling that way. I think we just think we're supposed to stop feeling that way. It's exact. And that's what's so wonderful about reading kids books. I even, you know, bring them home and my husband reads them and he's getting hooked on them. Like, you know, Katie Camilla, you know, just all she's the one who wrote the tale of Despero and all her books. They're all about really searching for love, being wanted, searching. These are core themes that, you know, we're all constantly touching. I, I mean, some of our core themes never change. Wanting to be loved, wanting to fit in, wanting to be true to our true self, all these beautiful, essential themes, wanting to belong. These are all things that are written in kids' books and all things that we're still seeking uh, forever, I think. So how do you see those playing out? Because I'm, you know, I'm curious about your work as a spiritual director and then a retreat facilitator. Do you find that working in that way gives you access to themes? It almost feels like you get the adult access and then the kid access by working in both of these fields in addition to writing. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. I mean, being a spiritual director, what I love about that and leading retreats is I feel like I'm really hearing people's real spiritual journeys, odysseys, struggles. How do we open up to really living a, a relationship of love with the divine? How do we really see that we are in a love relationship, that our life is really almost a living love story? You know, and I love it because I will hear things from people and I'll really affirm what I'm writing. Like they're seeking a deeper relationship. They're seeking more intimacy with the divine. They're looking to see how, you know, the divine is in all of their relationships in their life. You know, so it's very affirming to me. And also um, it just really makes me very current with what real people are experiencing, not just things you know, from books or ideas, but from real life relationships. Yeah, I think that's the tension, I think, for writing from personal experience, because I think about um, when I was back in grad school studying to be a therapist, and it got to a point, and I can see this happening with writing as well, where we were learning all of these creative and amazing ways to process our experience that we sort of ran out of experiences to process. Mm -hmm. So I wonder about the tension of, you know, when you're writing about experiences that have happened in your life, how do you make sure that you have enough life going on to then have something to write about? And it seems like these jobs help, but I'm curious about other suggestions that you have. Keep mining your experiences because every experience we have has so many layers to it. When you think about, like, say, your journey of love, you know, you can think about it in so many dimensions if you keep mining it and keep writing about it and keep connecting with it. And so I would say to somebody who wants to write about their personal experience, don't just stop at the first level. Keep going and then keep going and then just take even an experience of an experience and then kind of see where that is going. Um, believe, believe in your deepest self that it has 
so much material, so much to talk about and has your unique perspective in it as well. I think that's true because we it's so easy for us to believe that somebody else's experience is more interesting than ours or somebody else has something you know, oh, they said something so amazing about that and my experience isn't that interesting, but but it is. So I think that's a tension that we need to think about is, you know, how do I pay attention to this and both think about how I feel about it, but also step outside and look at how someone else might see it. I think that's hard to do. Yeah, and, and also, but you can cultivate that, you, you know, through practicing, through writing, through reflecting, um, you can cultivate that. And so I think it's important for people to believe that. They might just write one little paragraph and go, eh, there's nothing there. But then you have to just keep going. It's just like when you meditate or you pray, it's like some days this, but you know, more is there. If you just open up to more, more is there. Um, just like love, it's just, it's just endless. It flows and it flows if you stay open to the more that's available to you. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm curious, my last question I want to ask is, um, what are you reading now that you're liking or what have you read recently? Could be kids books too, because uh -huh. as we've said, adults, adults can well, be into that is, also. Well, actually though, I mean, I'm, I just read uh, Roald Dahl's The BFG just because there was the movie, but I mean, I just loved it. It was just, I just loved the whole giant and what he was really, what he's all about. And then actually, I just finished uh, James Finley. I told you he's somewhat a mentor for me. The Merton's Palace of Nowhere. I would really recommend that to people. It's just a wonderful book. And then I'm also reading uh, The Book oh, Thief. Yeah. Oh, that, the, oh my gosh. I would really recommend that to anybody who's interested in writing the voice in that. Like, death is a character in this book. It's just. It's a riveting book. I, I, I just I just love this book. And then I continue to, it's a classical, it's a classic, a spiritual classic. It's difficult to read. It's called The Interior mm. Castle by Teresa of Avila. That's a long read. I've been reading that for years, but it takes, takes years to really read that book. Um, so those are the few of the things I've been enjoying those lately. Those are really great. We'll put links to them in the show notes so people can find them. But um, yes, yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Colette. This was really wonderful. And I know people are going to get so much out of it. Um, and it was just such a delight talking to you. Well, thank you. I mean, your enthusiasm, your love of writing and reading, I can tell, um, feels so fresh. So it was a joy to spend time with you talking today. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.